the dance mix of this podcast episode is going to be lit. <laughs> <laughs> Hey Rockers, welcome to episode 7 of Extra Credit, the Rock You Podcast. I'm sitting here with the fount of rock trivia, <laughs> the dean himself, Matt Black. Hello Seth, hello podcast listeners, we're very glad to have you back with us here for episode 7. That we are. Let's get this out of the way first. What are you wearing today? Today, Seth, I am wearing my David Bowie t-shirt, and I'm not actually sure which Bowie this is. It could be Ziggy Stardust or Aladdin Sane. I'm not really sure because I get them all mixed up, all his personas, but uh, you'll see why soon enough. And I'm sporting my Austin City Limits t-shirt. What's the story there? You'll see. You'll see. Will I? Okay. Reasons will become apparent later on. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. All right, so we're doing story songs today. So we've gone through and picked our five favorite story songs. Now, we kind of used maybe a little bit of different criteria, so I'm going to have Matt tell you what his was. But mine was more along the lines of it needed to have characters, it needed to have a story arc. It kind of brings you back to freshman year English in high school of, (laughs) of like, does it have the beginning and then the climax and then the end? Is it a real story? Is it not just bits and pieces? pieces and so that's kind of what you did i was looking for a story arc i wanted there to be a beginning a middle and an end okay and and something happens in the in in those three things (laughs) (laughs) cool well let's let you give us the beginning oh and tell us where you are now now i'm assuming you've ranked them again or did you go i have i've ranked them again okay five through one and uh, first of all before we start with this i got to say Seth, you are a mean, cruel taskmaster. (laughs) This was an impossible task, pretty much, for me. Every time I succeeded in knocking a story out of my list, it was replaced by, or a song out of my list, it was replaced by three more that I thought were even better. It killed me to cut these songs. I had a a Spotify playlist that at one point was up around a a hundred songs I was thinking of, and as I winnowed it down, I, I could have done this using just one letter of the alphabet. I could have done this using just the Beatles. I could have done this using just hip-hop influence bands. I I just, uh, I I even had a top five of songs that I thought of this morning while I was taking a shower that I hadn't (laughs) thought of yet. And so I made, I set myself a little extra challenge, a little limit. Uh, I decided not to use any artists or songs that I had already used. Which in any of our other top five lists, which means I could not use scenes from an Italian restaurant by Billy Joel, which otherwise probably would have been my number one, uh, Brenda and Eddie. Okay, Uh, I could I could not use "She's Leaving Home" by the Beatles, which is a beautiful, like almost a little novella of a song. I couldn't use Folsom Prison Blues, particularly the version recorded live at Folsom State Prison in California by Johnny Cash, uh, because I used uh, "Boy Named Sue" for our. our funny songs episode. The funny songs episode, yeah. um, I couldn't use All Too Well by Taylor Swift, which I used in our long songs episode, yep. or Paradise by the Dashboard Light, which I used in our long songs episode. I couldn't use a song, any song by Cake, even though there's so many good ones, but like Jolene, which is creepy. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> use uh, a Weezer song, like If You're Wondering If I Want You To, I Want You To. And that was my sneaky way of telling you a whole bunch of songs that I really love, but that aren't on my top five list. <laughs> well, that was a self-imposed, that was a self-imposed restriction, because 
because I didn't put that on my I, list. I just so. wanted to make sure to get those songs out there, and it was a way for me to include more songs than I actually was allowed I'm going to put mine in the honorable mentions where we normally put uh, them, so. I got a few more in there, too, believe me. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm sure um, you do. All right, so I'll start with my number five. All right. It's Space Oddity by David Bowie. I kind of <laughs> thought that might be on your yeah, list. I love playing <laughs> even, it. Even before seeing it, sure. <laughs> I love playing it, I love singing it, and I love the song. Uh, it's a story, by the way, it, it was actually rushed out as a single just before the moon landed because they wanted oh, yeah, to take advantage right. of the space. It was in the middle of the space race. It's got a whole bunch of political angsty things in there, but also this whole idea of the astronauts' lives being public. But what it's really about is, I don't want to, spoiler alert, but hey, it's a short song, is what it's really about is a an astronaut who is supposed to take a spacewalk being lost in space right. uh, forever. And it's beautifully written, both the music and the lyrics. There's a dialogue between Major Tom, the astronaut, and ground control, the mission control, and wherever they are. Houston? And, uh, I don't think so. I think it's a British space. I think it's a... Oh, is it yeah. a British thing? There's a lot of Britishism well, back- in the lyrics, yeah. Yeah. Although there was a single released in America with different with different lyrics. More American-sounding lyrics. Oh wow! I didn't know. That I did till, not know. I that. didn't know that till this morning. Anyway, <laughs> um, I lo- like. Just, I said he's the fount of rock trivia. It's a, it's such a beautifully told story, and as a musician, it's really interesting because most of the time when you play a song, you sort of know what's coming next if you know the key and some general features of the song. But this song defies all logic in terms of its chord progressions. It's, it's got a whole bunch of different sections. It's total Bowie. Yeah. Well, it's got, you know, like F major and F minor chords in the same phrasing. It's, it's yeah, it's he's a crazy guy and mad genius. By the way, I meant to mention at the outset, and I throw it in here, because, you know, story songs have to tell a story with an economy of words that books don't. There's a... A fairly famous uh, uh, anecdote about Ernest Hemingway, who said he could write a novel in six words, and somebody challenged him to go ahead and do it. And the novel, do you know the novel? No. Uh, his his six word novel was "For Sale, Baby Shoes, Never Worn." Ouch. <laughs> and these songs that I'm going to put on my list, most of them have the same economy of of lyrics. Yeah. And "Space Oddity" is a great example. What's conveyed in the short amount of the small amount of words available to David Bowie is stunning. So, what's the song that you should always play after Space Oddity? Well, I don't know. Major Tom, Coming Home by Peter Schilling. It's good. I like it. It's not as good as Space Oddity. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't think you can play it after Space Oddity. I always like backing those two up together because it's it's Peter Schilling's homage to Space Oddity by David Bowie. I do like that song. And by the way, Major Tom is a recurring character in other David Bowie songs, too. He shows up in yeah. Ashes to Ashes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I won't. Let's, let's we'll, stick to we'll, the topic. We'll stick Stay to the topic. topic. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a great job with that so far. <laughs> All What's right. your number five? My number five is One Piece at a Time by the man in black, Johnny Cash. Wow. Uh, so, I'm not sure if a lot of people know this song, but it was one of my dad's favorites. And it's a story about how the singer steals parts from a General Motors factory that makes Cadillacs so that he can build his own in his own garage. It's, it's a really funny tale about how he gets all the parts, how they're from different years, different makes, different models, how he gets them all home, tries to put them all together, and it doesn't really work, so they have to figure some things out. And Cash just has such a great time with this song. You can hear his smile while he's recording it. It's such a fun tune. And 
some of the, you know, he imitates his wife, the character's wife, when she says, take me for a spin. Uh, and then the lawyer in me loves when he goes down to the county office to get the title typed up. Uh, there's a couple of good jokes in that one. And the rhythm of the song, it's just, it's just a great, fun song and a really funny story. It's just one of my favorites. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. That's all you got to say. All right, man. What's your number four? My number four is a um, sort of a an outlier in this list, and it's by a band that I think is not that well known, although they really deserve to be uh, Drive By Truckers. You know? The oh yeah, Truckers? I've yeah. seen the Drive By Truckers live nice. in I would Austin. Love to see them live. Uh, it's a song called "Used to Be a Cop," and I don't know if you know that particular. I don't song. know that one. That's going to. I'm going to have to go do look a little snippet of it right now. So what I love about this song, first of all, it's a very intimate, disturbing portrayal of someone whose life has clearly gone off the rails. The main character is someone who has lost his, has been kicked off the police force. There's an implication that he was overly violent or angry. There's uh, some hints in the song that he was abused himself as a child. And there's a, there's a deeply disturbing personal story going on in the song, which is really reinforced by the music. Um, this sort of throbbing, thrumming bass line that goes through the whole thing. And it's a pretty simplistic song musically. It's pretty much, there's two sections with four chords each that go around. But one of the things I love about this song, and I think the Drive-By Truckers are such a good band when they do this stuff, there's a middle section, a bridge, where all of a sudden he's reminiscing about what his life used to be like and how he used to play football as, as a high school yeah. student, which I think you and I can both relate we to. We can relate to that. But wasn't big enough for college football. Mm -hmm. So he joined the police force and he passed the exam on the first try and he was good at it and he was happy. And the song turns into this major key and it only lasts for about 12 measures and then goes back to the minor key. And you see this human, this very mm -hmm. human glimpse of unfortunately an all too common story, which can be depersonalized and something I'm going to refer to later as well. Used to be a cop by Drive-By Truckers is a beautiful song. By the way, I should say I am a sucker for songs with unsympathetic narrators. I love them. Yeah. I guess we're kind of keeping on a theme of doing things that are illegal because <laughs> my number four is Copperhead Road nice. by Steve Earle. That's a great one. It's a story about a guy who grows up in a family that bootlegs moonshine in Tennessee. And having gone to college not too far away from Knoxville, Tennessee, I actually went to school with a guy who said the words, my uncle runs shine for a living and was, and was telling me the truth. Because I actually got some of the product at one point. But it's uh, about the third generation whose grandfather and father ran illicit liquor. And then he comes, he goes to fight in the Vietnam War and comes back and decides he's going to grow an illegal substance and market it out of his property up there on Copperhead Road. There's some really good guitar work on this. It's a really rollicking tune. And Steve Earle, if you don't know who Steve Earle is, you need to go listen to this record and then go dive into his stuff. Uh, just, Steve Earle's great. He's amazing. His voice is perfect for this song. Being a fellow Texan, now I know somebody's going to come up and say, he was born in Virginia, but that's because his dad was in the military. He's from San Antonio. And he started his music career in Houston, Texas, where he moved. He quit school, moved in with his 19 year old uncle when he was in the late teens himself 
and started out as a musician in Houston. It starts with a synthesizer. The song starts with a synthesizer that sounds like bagpipes, and it slides into a mandolin groove for the opening verses, and then it swells into the rock and roll part with the really, really slick guitar part from the middle to the end of the song. It's a really great tune, and it's a really good story, but again, it's it's breaking the law a little bit. Cool. To, to quote Judas Priest. Yeah. <laughs> What's your number four? I'm glad you mentioned Houston. Because that's awesome. a nice segue. My number four. I'm on my number three. Oh, you're yeah. okay. I'm one ahead of you this time. So, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Houston because my number three song is Dracula from Houston by the Butthole Surfers. Nice. And the Butthole Surfers probably would have been 50 times more popular if they had just been called the Surfers or the Soda Cans or literally anything else. The name the Butthole Surfers turned off a lot of people who never listened to them and they didn't get played on the radio as much as they should have. Their music is fantastic. It does everything. They have songs that are popular pop songs, songs that are punk songs, songs that are ballads. They're a complete genre buster. Go listen to some of their stuff. It's psychedelic. I mean, everything, literally. Not literally, sorry. But (laughs) Dracula Dracula from Houston is a story song with a little bit of a, I should say, a gibberish lyric to it. And yeah, yeah, and but it is a story. If you listen carefully to the lyrics and, you know, some of these songs, again, there's an economy of words, so you have to paint a picture in the listener's head. It's about a musician. It's pretty clear that it's about a musician because he uh, there's a one there's one passage in the middle where he takes six years to learn how to play the bassoon well enough to gig for a couple of beers, and there's this recurring motif with a monkey who keeps showing up and telling him what color to paint his bike. Now, okay, first of all, any song with a monkey, you had me at monkey, I'm, I'm in. But second of all, um, I don't know what the monkey is, and I don't know what the bike is. They could be nonsense, or it could be a symbol of something. Some people have suggested it's about substance abuse or mental illness or just the struggles of being a musician. It could be any of those things, but it's a really cool story and such a fun song to sing along to. Um, So Dracula from Houston by the Butthole Surfers in the number three position. Awesome. All right. My number three is by another not as well-known artist, Jill Soybule. And the song is Karen by Night. I don't know this yeah. at all. all right. So Jill Soybule is famous for two songs. She is the first person to put out a song called I Kissed a Girl by a Female no Singer. Kidding. And it's different than the Katy Perry song. It's not a cover. Katy no, Perry's it's not, not a cover. Okay. Katy Perry's not a title. cover of Jill Soybule. It's a different song. I know song. you want to do that episode. Songs <laughs> with the same titles but aren't the current covers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the other one she did was uh, a song called Supermodel. That was on the Clueless soundtrack. I feel like I've heard that one, yeah. You, if you've watched Clueless, yeah. you've heard at least a, a big clip of that song. But Karen by Night was on Jill Soybule's self-titled release, and it's about a woman who works at a shoe store. Who's The woman who works at the shoe store is the narrator of the song, and she thinks her boss, Karen, is a boring dud because she never goes out with the rest of the people that work there after work. She doesn't go out to the bar with them. But after the narrator hears Karen on a secretive phone call at the shoe store, she follows her and sees what Karen does after work. The lyrics are really clever, and we only get to see a glimpse of what Karen's doing, but it's a great, fun story. The language in it really pulls you in. Jill Soybule knows how to write a lyric. She's really good at that. It's a really great mid-90s pop tune, and my favorite line is at the end when it's fading out, and this might give away a little bit of the song, but she says, looking like young Marlon Brando, and then she whispers, not like fat old Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. (laughs) Such a great line. 
But, you know, it's funny you just said that and reminded me of something I wanted to say about Dracula from Houston. There's this great little mixed low behind the music break yeah. where he kind of strings some names together. He goes... Ian Curtis, Curtis Mayfield, like the, you know, he just, yeah. Whole, yeah. And uh, just like, that's a brilliant musical reference. Sorry if you know who Ian Curtis is, lead singer of Joy Division. Yeah. Or, no, what was the New Order? I can't remember which is, which came first and which came second, but... Joy Division during, was first and okay, New Order so was second. Joy Division, and they formed New Order when Ian Curtis committed suicide. Right. Anyway, point is, cool, cool little tidbit. Sorry. Cool, fun tidbit yeah. to put there at the end. All right, so you're number two. My number two. Oh, my number two is a big one. My number okay. two is a story within a story within a story... Within a story. It's Inception in a song? <laughs> it's better. <laughs> <sighs> My number two is The Ghost of Tom Joad by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, wow. That is, that is a great tune. Yeah. Now, Tom Joad is a character in The Grapes of Wrath the 1939 novel by John Steinbeck. Yep. And he is a character in the in the novel. He's a farmer who loses everything in the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma. Goes yep. with his family to California to try to pick up work as migrant farm workers and gets involved in a labor dispute where, in the end, he kills a corrupt policeman or an enforcer, a goon, basically, who's working yeah. for the management, who has just killed his friend who is a labor organizer. Right. And he gives a very impassioned speech in the book about standing up for the common man as he gets ready to flee his home so his family doesn't get persecuted. Well, it was made into a movie in 1940 by John Ford. That movie was viewed by Woody Guthrie, the famous folk yep, singer, famous. who made a song called Tom Joad, sometimes mm -hmm. called The Ballad of Tom Joad, but usually just Tom Joad. Well, in sometime in the 90s, Bruce Springsteen records a very beautiful song called The Ghost of Tom Joad, but it's dirge-like. It's in an unusual meter, by the way. As a drummer, you should go listen to this and see if you yeah, can get the time is, signature. Yeah, it is. It's in an odd time signature, yeah. yeah. And it's it uses some instruments like accordion and organ. And uh, it tells this beautiful story, or not, excuse me, not the beautiful story, this disturbing story, but it specifically makes reference to the speech that Tom Joad gives to his mother. Uh, by the way, he's played by Henry Fonda in the Tom Ford movie. Right. John Ford movie, sorry. With all the Toms getting me mixed up. <laughs> it's a good song. Doesn't really go anywhere until it gets covered by Rage Against the Machine, featuring one of the most interesting political voices in rock music. Uh, the whole band, really, but Tom Morello, who I think is a really inspirational figure and guitarist. We'll yeah. get to him. Go ahead. You want to and say something? And Zach De La Roca. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, Tom Morello, to me, is a towering figure, an uh, absolute, yeah. absolute titan. Um, Tom Morello actually was writing stuff on his guitar because Woody Guthrie wrote stuff on his guitar. That's why he's such a titan. One of the many reasons that he's such a titan, and Bruce Springsteen. Anyway, let's go back to, let's go back to the story. So then Tom, Rage Against the Machine covers the song in a very Rage Against the Machine style, incredibly hard-edged and distorted guitars and so on. Anyway, at some point, Bruce Springsteen hears this, and he invites Tom Morello to go on tour with him, and they perform these incredible live versions of yeah. Ghost of Tom Joad with Tom Morello, who's a wizard with effects and uses a, a whammy pedal and all kinds of weird sound effects. He makes his guitar sound like a DJ scratch. He, do, he does all kinds of yeah. cool things. And then, of course, Bruce Springsteen re-records the song with Tom Morello, and it comes out on a later album about 20 years later. So there's all this stuff going on in the song, the political aspect. It's been very relevant lately, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Tom Morello's activism, Bruce Springsteen's activism, and tracing its lineage all the way back to, to Woody Guthrie and to John Steinbeck and John Ford. But what you really, you don't need any of that 
all you have to do is enjoy Tom Morello's guitar work on the live versions, which you can go on YouTube, and we'll include a, a link to one good one in the show notes. I will say, by the way, that Tom Morello is known as a guitarist, and Bruce Springsteen is known as sort of a rhythm guitarist who sings. You know, he's a singer. Yeah. But on those live versions, Bruce plays a really, really good solo, which is kind of takes a lot of uh, guts to to stand up to Tom Morello. So they trade solos. <laughs> That's true. And Tom Morello sings a verse, which takes a lot of guts because he's not. I mean, he does sing, but in he didn't sing in Rage Against the Machine, and um, he didn't sing in Audio Slave either. He didn't sing in Audio Slave. He does sing in The Night Watchman, which is his, yeah. uh, sort of his personal project. But uh, but he he sings a couple verses of the song, and he sings really well. So the two of these guys working together and the personal friendship they've made, despite the gulf in age and style, is impressive. Rock and roll royalty. Yeah, totally. All right, so my number two is The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I knew that was going to be on your By list. Gordon Lightfoot. And I, I, I was tempted when you said that to say immediate disqualification due to his inclusion in the movie High Fidelity, which is a line that they use about uh, can't always get what you want about being in the big chill. But I'll let you get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know about The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, it's a true story. It's a story about the cargo ship Edmund Fitzgerald, which sank in Lake Superior in November of 1975. And it's a really sad story. Lightfoot's poetic lyrics tell the dark story in detail. Did you say it was by Gordon Lightfoot and I missed it? Yeah, I probably it's just Gordon ran Light- over you. Yeah, okay, Gordon good. Lightfoot. Just making sure. Yeah. yeah. Didn't want to have uh, to clean that one up in another take two episode. <laughs> Sorry, go back. Go. Please continue. The, the start guitar work adds to the emotional story of the loss of the 29 souls who were aboard ship. The music may sound a little bit dated because of some of the accents that go in. I mean, if you stripped out a couple of the little keyboard parts and just left it with straight guitar, I, I think it wouldn't sound as dated. But even if it does, the guitar work and Gordon's voice just put together are amazing enough, but the lyrics that he writes, the, the poetry of the way that he tells the story is just striking. The two lines that get me is from the middle of the song. It says, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, there's some really good poetry in that song. But the story is, uh, he tells it straight out, and it's a tour de force. I mean, it's it's an amazing song. Yeah, it is. You ready for my number one? I'm ready for your number one, man. Uh, my number one song is, I feel it's a truly special song, a real standout in rock history. It's called, And the Band Played Waltzing Matilda. And this is originally a song by Eric Bogle, who, as I learned on Wikipedia this morning, is a Scottish-born Australian folk singer. Okay. And he won a contest. Um, with the song and won a $300 guitar as a prize for the contest. And I didn't actually realize that there was a version by this guy, Eric Bogle. So I listened to it. It's good. It's fine. It's nice. It's very nice. But the definitive version, and we've talked about covers that become the definitive version of the song, right. is by the Pogues. And the Pogues, if you don't know the Pogues, they are a weird folk punk hybrid. They've got tubas and accordions They're and banjos. They're so much fun to listen to. They are so much fun. But the best asset they have is the voice of their singer, Shane McGowan, who, it's, who's got one of the most expressive voices in rock. And the story, and the band played Waltzing Matilda, is the story of an Australian, young Australian man before World War One, who yep. goes to war as uh, part of the, the Gallipoli campaign and loses his legs as part of that campaign. And the story song follows the 
arc of his life from being a young man traipsing about the outback in Australia through being an old bitter man watching the parades on his front porch from a chair. And it's so beautifully written. This one does not have a lot of economy of words. I think it's got something like uh, nine verses or something. It's, it's oh, a long wow. it's song. It's a long one, yeah. It's pretty wordy and pretty declarative. But when Shane McGowan sings it, it's got this amazing emotion. We have this, the bitterness comes out and the, the tragedy of his experience and what he, what he witnessed, but what happened to him as well, and just being an anti-war anthem. When I first learned this song and started to play it, I did it because I used to have a fairly regular schedule of playing at the Australian Embassy, and a lot of our uh, a lot of our friends at the Australian Embassy were in the uh, the military detachment there, and they were members of Rock U adult bands, and we used to go perform there, and they would perform. And I figured I should learn the song for them. I couldn't get through it without crying. It was yeah. really moving. It took me a long time before I could comfortably get to the end of that song without tearing up, and even now talking about it, it's it's a beautiful song. All right, so I'm going to make a couple of my friends happy <laughs> okay. with my number one. And you can say that this isn't rock and roll, but I got to go with The Road Goes On Forever by Robert Earl Keen. I'm good with that. <laughs> rock and roll's a big tree with lots of branches. It is a big tree with lots of branches. You'll find his records in the country music section, but Robert Earl writes some amazing songs, and he's a really good storyteller. So this song is about a waitress named Sherry and a low-level criminal named Sonny who fall in love and end up going on a crime spree. It's kind of like Bonnie and Clyde meets Miami Vice, but at its heart, it's just a simple three-chord song. But Robert Earl, when he records this, and the best version is on his album, Number Two Live Dinner, that came out, oh my gosh, more than 20 years ago. He built out the music on this one to match the depth of the story. It's a great song. It's been covered by tons of people. It was covered by the Highwaymen, by Joe Ely, and a bunch of other folks. And Lloyd Maines, the world's greatest pedal steel guitarist, plays on the live record. He produced the live record. And Lloyd Maines was in the first class of the Austin City Limits Hall of Fame. And the only other two people on that list are Willie Nelson and Stevie Ray Vaughan. That's pretty good. That tells you what yeah. company that Lloyd Maines is in. And now we know why you're wearing your, your T-shirt. Well, that's, not, that's one of the oh, reasons. not even. But okay. that's not the real reason. Oh, wow. I love that song. So I'll get to why I'm wearing the Austin City Limits shirt. Out of my list, can you guess how many people have been on Austin City Limits? I'm just going to go. I, I don't remember everything on there, so I'll just guess five. No. Oh, sorry. Remind the me. Only one, the well, only well, one. The only one. Well, Steve Earle for sure. Steve Earle definitely. Robert Earl Keane. Robert sure. Earl Keane for Tell sure. Me who else? You, remind me who Johnny else Cash. I don't think. Is he, I don't know how long. Johnny Austin Cash City was goes Austin back. City Limits goes back to like the seventies. Well, Johnny Cash then. So Johnny Cash was on there, and Gordon Lightfoot. Gordon he wasn't. Lightfoot, really? He wasn't on the TV show, but he did play at ACL Live a few times. Okay, cool. Uh, I think once for sure. So, uh, four out of five were on Austin City Not Limits, bad. and then Lloyd Maines being in the ACL Hall of Fame. <laughs> Very And cool. Robert Earl Keane, if he's not in the ACL Hall of Fame, he will be. It's got to be. Yeah. So, we're going to do a few honorable mentions. Take the Money and Run by the Steve Miller Band. Uh, good one. Can't do an episode without Rush. Red Barchetta. Good one. Uh, which is a good one. Talk about, talk about telling a story with a few words in that one. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a really good one. Yeah. Give me three steps, and I have to add in the ballad of Curtis Lowe by Leonard Skinnerd. Good one. Uh, I left my wallet in El Segundo by a tribe called Quest. You already called Space Oddity, and we talked about Major Tom. And then because I mentioned Lloyd Maines, I got to bring a country song in here because his daughter Natalie is the lead singer of the, the used Chicks. to be used to be Dixie Chicks. 
and they have a great story song called Goodbye Earl. Have to, oh, I know that one. Yeah. I, I have to listen to it again. That goes along with our break the law theme. <laughs> All right. Well, my honorable mentions, I really don't even deserve any at this point because I got so many. But I made, like I said, I made lists within lists. I made a list just of story songs about about bands. Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. 10th Avenue Freeze Up by Bruce Springsteen. Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry. Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. Jukebox Hero by Foreigner. Oh, and I couldn't even get it to five. Traveling Band by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Gone Going by Black Eyed Peas. I made a list just by the Beatles. Ballad of John and Yoko, A Day in the Life. Oh, Bloody, Oh, Blood, Da. Rocky Raccoon. And I, I already mentioned She's Leaving Home. I wait, wait, hit- wait, wait. You didn't have uh, Eleanor Rigby on that one? And I forgot Eleanor Rigby, which you reminded me. I said, come on, how can you do this? I made a hip hop list. It was a good day by Ice Cube, Stand by Eminem, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air by DJ Jazzy Jeff and The Fresh Prince, Just a Friend by Biz Marquis and Paul Revere by Beastie Boys, but I could have used almost anything by Beastie Boys would have been great. Yeah. I made a list, just of the ones that I thought of this morning in the shower that I hadn't put on. Lawyers, Guns and Money by Warren Zevon, Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie, Pride in the Name of Love by U2, I Want You by Elvis Costello and The Attractions, and Ms. Jackson by Outkast. And this is still to leave on the table. You never can tell by Chuck Berry. I don't like Mondays by Boomtown Rats, Walking the Wild Side by Lou Reed. And the list literally goes on for a long way after that. The road goes on forever, and the list (laughs) never ends. That's exactly right. Hey, rockers, there's still time for you to rock with Rock You this year. Our spring session starts on Monday, 28th of March, and we will be playing all spring until our big Rock You en Seine festival, the 18th and 19th of June. Check it out on the website. Join us and rock out. So we're back, and we've got a new segment called Feedback. And it's where you guys give us your comments, either via email or sometimes via audio clip. So we're going to go through the ones that we've gotten for the first six or so episodes and read off some of the stuff that you sent us. And then we're probably going to hear a few audio clips. Am I right, Matt? I think we got a couple. Yeah. Cool. From our bevy of beautiful listeners. Loyal listeners. Yes. Thank you out there for all all of your responses. All 24 of you. <laughs> no, no, no. We got quite a few more than that. 27. 27? No, no, no. I'm just kidding. 7 million. Okay. Uh <laughs> All right, I'm going to start off with a comment from Rick, a.k.a. Mango. And Rick says, he has a very good piece of advice. This is a general comment, not about a particular episode. He says, I listened to both episodes of Extra Credit. Great name, and it's awesome. Two pieces of advice. One, try not to move around the shared microphone as the levels bounce around. Thanks for that tip, Rick. (laughs) Two, don't ever admit to not loving Led Zeppelin again. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a fairly that's a good one. That's a wise, little wise piece of advice from from Mr. Mango. There. Uh, moving on to episode one, our all killer, no filler episode. Al, the Honorable Al, actually oh. writes in. I just listened to the first Rock You podcast. Good stuff. Your buddy yeah. picked Joshua Tree number one. Alas, he missed. U 2s perfect album is Octung Baby. Fight me. Another good one. Yeah. I won't fight you. I'll (laughs) listen to both of them. (laughs) Thank you for your open-mindedness there, Seth, and your balanced view. Uh, But he also goes on to say, No Love for Synchronicity, one of the best albums of the 80s. Say it ain't so. It ain't so, because you're a police fan. How can you not like Synchronicity? But I think it's it's the album I like the least. Uh, well, I can hear the band breaking up. They went out on top. Though. Yeah, they did. Uh, he goes on to credit one of your picks. He says, Peter Gabriel's So is a brilliant selection. Thank you. So, 
I, right. I think so too. <laughs> Moving on to episode two, the notable covers episode. Now, this is a comment from my uncle Hiram, who I believe I referenced in episode five. We've talked five. about Uncle That's Hiram right. before. He said, "Matt and Seth, great podcast. I like the acknowledgement that often we don't know a song is even a cover at all. I first heard uh, Hendrix's Hey Joe in August '68, but I only learned it's a cover in November '21. Yeah, last month, and he sent me this message in no- in December. So. Yeah. Um, he also says I need to push a cover to the top of the list. Walk, don't run." by The Ventures. The original by Johnny Smith is almost unrecognizable in their cover, but both are individually great pieces. I didn't and know that that was a cover. I, I didn't either. And Our listeners are teaching yeah. us stuff. This is yeah, awesome. Yeah. This, is, this is very cool. And uh, he goes on to say, the cover, the cover most likely sold more guitars and launched more guitar players' careers than any other song ever. Although I think you uh, might quibble with that. for Eruption, <laughs> or maybe something that Jimi Hendrix put out. Uh, moving on to the episode three about long songs, I believe you had a comment. Yeah, so a buddy Rob texted me and sent me something. He said, fun podcast on long songs. But man, no in memory of Elizabeth Reed, huge miss. How can you leave out the Allman Brothers? Turning your Southern man card right now. There, there was he, there were, he sent another thing about a song called Stink Pot by Soul Hat. It's, he sent us an audio clip, so we're going to listen to that a little bit edited, but we're going to listen to that right now. There was another one that popped into my head that is another favorite and would be really obscure to anybody outside of Austin in the 90s. There's a band called Soul Hat. The song is Stink Pot, an unusually long song on the Out to Box album, but just an amazing album, amazing band. Their their singer is a guy named Kevin McKinney, good guitar player. I was in Guitar Resurrection uh, a few months ago looking for a guitar, and because of COVID, they had the, the room really locked down. And there was, there was one other person shopping for guitars in there at the same time. I look over, and, it, and it's Kevin McKinney. Love the podcast. Do you have anything else on that? We got an audio clip also from Dana. Dana is my sister. And oh, cool. she shared her favorite long song. Let's listen, to this. Let's listen to her suggestion right now. My favorite song, Over Seven Minutes, is actually The Old Witch Sleep and the Good Men Grace by a band called The Amazing Devil. They are sort of an alt-folk, bard, core, lyrical band uh, duo from the UK. Joey Beatty and Ma- uh, Madeline Highland. And this song is incredibly beautiful, lyrical, two-part song. The first half of the song is the old witch sleep, telling the singer that they're okay, they're doing enough. The, it has this incredibly gorgeous line that says they're just shadows searching for light, they can't stay. And the second half of the song is that conversation you have with your inner insecurities. And they come together in this incredibly gorgeous chorus. And the words of it is, you are in the earth of me. My head's not yours. It's mine. And I'll take my time. It's a great song. It's beautiful. Cool suggestion, Dana. We're going to check that one out. I also should mention that Dana took issue with our Nirvana versus Pearl Jam one-minute matchup. Which um, side did she come down she on? She said, counterpoint, Temple of the Dog is better than both Pearl Jam and Nirvana in terms of number of releases to impact on industry. Dana, agree to disagree. Agree to disagree <laughs> on that one. I'll, I'll have to say that. Although I do like Temple of the Dog. I mean, how can you not like Chris Cornell singing with Eddie Vedder? Uh, Maybe I, you don't. I don't know. I'll have, to think about, I'll have to listen and think about it. 
All right, let's see. Moving on to episode four, the movie episode. We had a lot of feedback on the movie episode, starting with Dr. Phil. Not the Dr. Phil you know, but another Dr. Phil. Other, other Dr. Phil? Actually, a Dr. Other Phil. It's a long story. Um, <laughs> who shared his list. He, he gave he gives his preferences, which are Blues Brothers, Spinal Tap, Almost Famous, The Commitments, and My Dark Horse, Eddie, and The Cruisers, and also School of Rock. But the real reason we wanted to share this comment with you is because Dr. Other Phil adds, for pure camp, there is also Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park, Total Cheese. Complete cheese. I had totally forgotten Brilliant. about that until you too. read it to me. Me too. <laughs> do, you, do you have somebody else? Because I've got a couple. I know you have a couple. Let's see. I've got one. My mother, Hallie. Hi, Mom! <laughs> had something to say about my choice of Hard Day's Night. Hey, Matt and Seth. Love the podcast on five great rock movies. I would also like to say that help deserve to be mentioned because there is hardly a funnier scene than a shrunken Ringo star scrambling to get into a hide in a shoe and also that scene when they try to film at Stonehenge complete with real cannons blasting to Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture is absolutely one of the funniest. Thanks, Mom. My friend Jill wanted to know why we didn't have Big Chill on our list of best movies. I can't believe that I forgot that even as an honorable mention because that's got a lot of good tunes in it. Judging from some of the feedback we've got that we're not sharing, I think we're going to have to do an episode on influential soundtracks because that's definitely a definitely. huge one. And Rob wrote in and, and gave us his list. He said, Repo Man, Blues Brothers, Rocky Horror, Spinal Tap, and for the nostalgia entry, Forrest Gump. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I do have one more comment on the episode, not about movies, but on our discussion of set lists. And my oh, uncle good. Hiram again jumps in with this comment. I have to share a story that relates to set lists and offering the audience songs they know. Apparently, Neil Young sometimes played only his new stuff at concerts. And apparently, sometimes the audience let him know their displeasure with this. So the story goes <laughs> that at the end of such a show, he taunted his audience by saying he was now going to do a song they had heard before and then replayed the first song from that concert. <laughs> That's awesome. And he goes on to say, I don't know if the story is true or not, but it's too good to stop telling. And it's exactly the kind of thing, excuse me, it's precisely the kind of thing that Neil Young could do with absolute impunity. That's totally true. Yeah, that's true. All right, moving on to episode five, instrumentals. Now, other other Phil, don't don't get the Phils confused. This Phil not, says not Doctor Other Phil. No, this is other other Phil. <laughs> says he, that he can't believe that Jessica only gets a passing mention in the podcast. Best road trip song ever. It's a good one. It is it's a, a good, good one. one. I and, think we and because he said road trip, Jessica is actually the theme song for Top Gear. Is it? Yes. If really? you listen to it, it's a cover of Jessica, but it's the theme song for Top Gear. Here's other other Phil again, who uh, for episode does six, he have a job or does he just write? He mostly us? just sends me comments about the podcast. <laughs> uh, he says uh, for our funny songs episode, he had some cake comments to make, but this is the one that I'm going to share with you, which isn't about cake. He says I have to both tip my hat and disagree with the dead milkman choice. That's referring to your number one song, I think it was, or number two, number two, number two. Yeah. Big Lizard is one of my all time favorite albums, and bitch. Camaro is a worthy choice, but I would have gone with the title song, Big Lizard. Okay. Anything to say about that? The only reason I liked uh, picked Bitch and Camaro was because it, it literally was the most requested song I got on What's. So. That's cool. And I referred in that episode to having that cassette, having that album on cassette. Yeah. And uh, he, I think he's right, actually. I'm not going to say it's better than Bitch and Camaro, but I do think it's, that uh, it's, it's as a good, good it's as. It's a good one. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's very funny. Yes. Let's put it that way. Okay. We have a, a suggestion from Bruce, who has a, an opinion about our fun song choices, including a potential blind spot. Let's listen to that. Hey, Matt and Seth, it's Bruce. Long time, first time. Love your podcast. I'm a big fan. And I wanted to weigh in on your most recent episode, episode six on top five funny songs. Great choices there, but you missed a big one. There's a big blind spot. 
uh, with rap generally, but I think the Beastie Boys specifically. Uh, I think there's so much you could do their whole catalog, but I'm going to call it specifically Hey Ladies. Um, you've got lines like, there's more to me than you'll ever know, and I've got more hits than Sadahara O. Educated no, stupid yep, and when I say stupid, I mean stupid fresh. I'm not James at 15 or Chachi in charge. I'm Adam, and I'm adamant about living large. So much good stuff. So I'm going to put a plug in for the Beastie Boys uh, and, and really Hey Ladies. Thanks. Spot on. Well agreed. <laughs> the whole hip-hop genre, especially like early 80s and 90s hip-hop, is filled with humor. There's oh, tons, so many funny... Tons of good, funny hip-hop So songs. many funny artists. We just limited artists. ourselves to rock stuff. Well, I don't I don't even know that I consciously did. I just didn't think of Beastie Boys. I did. Okay. I limited myself to rock right. stuff. On the funny songs one, I had a note from my friend Catherine who said, in response to my challenge of the question of in grade nine by the Bare Naked Ladies, what are the three songs that are musically referenced? And she writes and she says, all right, I'll play. In order of play, reference in the middle of the song, this is me in grade nine. It's Tom Sawyer and then Peanuts and then Spirit of Radio. And she jokingly says, if I get this right, can I have free lodging and let my husband sit in on one of your jam sessions? And yes, Catherine, you totally can because you you got the references <laughs> correct. The uh, the Peanuts reference is Linus and Lucy, and I'm going to butcher the guy's name, Vince... Guaraldi. Guaraldi. Yeah. Is that how you say yeah, it? Vince, Vince Guaraldi. Vince Guaraldi Trio. It's a riff on the main line of that song, and they, they rise it, I don't know, like a, either by a half step or by a whole step each time when they run through. Yeah. So that was that was a good catch, Catherine. That was yeah. awesome. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Oh, my Uncle Hiram is back with another comment. And he says, I just got to finish up episode five. By the way, I should say this is not about funny songs, but this is about our digital versus vinyl one-minute matchup. Oh, cool. He says, I agree with Matt that the experience associated with the listening with listening to music should always be magnitudes of order more important than the medium. The proof is obvious and simple. People flock to and rave about recordings of live performances, and radio stations play them over and over when so often the studio cut is tonally vastly superior. But the live concert, which may include inaudible moments, audience noise, and who knows what else, has the juice if the performers are on. On. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And it's the emotion that gets conveyed when they're playing the music. And he's right. You know, technically the, the studio cut could sound better. Sorry, air quotes, sound better. <laughs> air quotes on a podcast. Yeah, you have to explain it. Yeah. You, have to, you have to tell people about that. The live recording can be vastly superior. So one more comment about funny songs. Benita re- reminds us that just a gigolo, actually doesn't remind us, teaches us. This is a nice way our listeners are teaching us stuff. Teaches us that, the, that just a gigolo, we knew that David Lee Roth's song, was a cover of a Louis Prima hit in the 50s. Yeah. But I did not know, and I don't know if you did, that that was a cover of a much older song and was, in fact, a, a very sad song. And the re- the difference is, not only did Louis Prima and David Lee Roth interpret it in a humorous way, but there's a whole preamble to the, that comes before the first verse that puts the that, song in a totally different context. That David Lee Roth and Louis Prima did they not did, they left record. It out. They left yeah. it out. They went for the laughs. The original song's a lot sadder. So we're going to include a link to that song in the show notes. I think it was by uh, Bing Crosby. Yeah, the original. And I don't actually know if that is the original, but it's, it definitely predates the versions that we are familiar with. Ah, okay. So cool. thanks, thanks, Benita. Thanks for our, to our listeners for teaching us something. Yeah. And if you hear something in this podcast or any of the future ones, drop us an email or send us an audio clip at podcast at rock-u.fr. All right, it's time for the one-minute matchup. And we're going to go with the question of, do tone woods matter in guitars? Good thing you specified we're not talking about drums. 
Yeah, well, I mean, drums or cellos or other things that are made out of wood that you can make noise with. Well, I think we should stick to guitars. I'm yeah, let's stick to guitars on this about one. drums. <laughs> so um, we kind of looked at the question of do tone woods matter and kind of took our own tact with it. So I'm going to let Matt tell you about his tact and then he can go for his minute. And then I'll tell you a little bit about mine and I'll go for my minute. All right, you ready well, to be ready. on? You ready? Count All me right. in. You are on the clock as of now. Okay, this one reminded me a little bit of our vinyl versus digital uh, debate. Yeah. And I was pretty glib about that one because I thought that was pretty easy. Um, this one's a little more nuanced, and I, I think the answer, there's two different answers. Okay. If you're talking about an electric guitar, you're down to the problem again. You have electrons going down a copper wire into a speaker cone. So there's so much you can do before the sound comes out of that speaker cone to change the sound with effects pedals, with amp settings, with uh, guitar settings, with uh, the speaker size. I, I've seen videos on YouTube of people making making electric guitars out of acrylic, out of newspaper, and you can make a guitar, an electric guitar sound almost, not quite, almost any way you want. Different pickup choices. I don't really think tone woods matter that much, not enough for most human beings. For acoustics, it's a different story. Different woods just sound different. I love the sound of cedar acoustic guitars. I don't really love the sound of spruce. It does make a difference for acoustic guitars, and most people can hear that difference. Minute one, not too shabby. Nice to have the clock, you know, going so I can see it. (laughs) I kind of did most of my work on electric guitars. That's where the focus of my research was. But (laughs) I I know enough to know that uh, a little bit about... uh, Tonewoods on acoustic guitars. So you ready? If I I am ready, count and me in. And three, two, one, go. Okay, for electric guitars, no tonewoods don't matter. You need to go watch a video on YouTube by a guitarist in Nashville named Jim Lill L I L L. It's called Tested. Where does the tone come from in an electric guitar? So he takes his uh, Tom Anderson Telly and puts it up against a parts caster, a scrap wood 2x4 guitar, and an air guitar that he made by stretching the strings between a workbench and a shelf. The results are amazing. (laughs) What's the thing that that makes the most of the difference? It's the distance between the strings and the pickup. Okay? So I'm going to say no on that. Definitely going to follow Matt and say yes on the acoustic part because that's where the sound comes from. It's not coming, like you said, through a copper wire. The resonance of the wood, the sound box that it has, that it reverbs through the the hole in the acoustic is what makes it sound that way. Just 59 seconds again. Awesome. You came in under a minute twice in a row. Because I didn't have a lot to say about acoustic guitars. (laughs) Well, Uh, but you weren't counting on that, so yeah, nicely done. There we go. I will say that for all these these arguments out there, there's so many arguments among musicians. Does this matter? Does that matter? Well, you can pretty much find the answer now because almost everything that you could ask has been studied and put up on YouTube or something else. Yeah, somebody's tested it because uh, this Jim Lil guy is actually he's more he's not a scientist but he's more scientific i think about mm-hmm. the way he goes about it and he he lays out all the variables in that video it's a really good video to watch and see oh okay he's not just 
saying it because that's what he thinks or that's what he feels. He actually goes out and tests it. Yeah. So I really enjoyed yeah. that one. Our own guitar teacher and guitar tech here at Rock U, Dr. Kev, has a really good article on his website about cables. And you can buy a cable for $2 or $200 and everything in between. I'll just suggest you go to Dr. Kev Guitar and check out what he has to say about whether that makes a difference at all. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I wanted to say in Jim Lil's video, he asked uh, three guitar makers that he said he respects and enjoys playing their guitars. And one of them came back and said that the most important thing was the player, the player, the player. <laughs> of course it is. And so I was like, yeah, well, that's a guy that you could probably trust. Today's episode of Extra Credit The Rock You Podcast is sponsored by our good friends and partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble is your one-stop shop for all Anglophone music creation in Paris. Go check out what they do at www.bigpebblerecords.com, including their first release, the EP Posture, by former Rock You student Person M. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinckley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>